What's up, everybody? Welcome to Momentum Online, and welcome to one of my favorite weekends of the year. We're talking about our holiday give, and I'll explain that in a minute. Now, let me first say hello to all of our people who join us on YouTube week in and week out. Let me say hello to all our folks on Facebook and Instagram, and especially to those of you who were maybe at Momentum at one point in time but are now all over the country. Guys, you're still family to us. We love you, we see you, and we're glad you're here. Now, I'll explain what we're talking about here in a minute because you might very well see that this video is releasing on Halloween weekend, but we're talking about holidays. And I promise this can make sense in just a minute. Now, here's the other deal too. Let's be honest. Every single year, you let Target get away with this. You let Costco get away with this. Some of y'all started sipping peppermint mochas three weeks ago, and you're looking forward to Christmas. And so what we're going to do so we can support and serve our friends at Vista Square is start early as we're talking about how we want to bless them this holiday season. Now, all my cards on the table. We are going to ask you to give generously to these kids at the end of this message. That is the action step. I'm not going to try and trick you into it. I just need you to know that's where we're going today. Our goal at Momentum every year is to have our biggest offering of the year be one that goes out our doors and into the lives of people in need. So far, we've done that every year. I'm confident this year will be the same. I can make all of this make sense by telling you a story. Here's the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. The story begins with God out of his love and goodness creating. He starts with light, but he doesn't finish there. He continues to make ocean, atmosphere, land, plants, sun, moon, stars, birds, fish, animals, mankind. And then he rests. But there's this key phrase woven through the narrative of Genesis 1. God would create and then he would pause. He would stop and he would say these words. And it is good. Now hear the expression carefully. The word there for good in the original Hebrew language is tov. Oh, tov is so much more than good. It's not neato. It's not swell. Sorry, it's not just... pretty good. It's <laughs> I got serious as we go. We're going to figure that out, trust me. But here's what you need to know. Tov is so much more than good. It means complete. It means whole. It means dripping over with goodness. It means all that is right and well. God would look at the way he created the world and say, it is Tov. Uh, the writer Scott McKnight said it like this. Tov is God's design for all creation. He shapes everything for goodness. His turning of the formless and empty into created order. He gave everything he created a design, a purpose, and a function. Tov is God's artistic evaluation of all he did. In other words, perfect, excellent, just how God wants it. Put differently, beauty, aesthetics, and what is pleasing to the senses, like a well-played piano, a coordinated golf swing. The right word for the right situation, a European cathedral that stands above all structures and beckons us to come pray. A beautifully arranged dining room, a well-organized event, a jolly beagle that follows its nose through the lawn. When everything is in its proper place, doing its proper task, there is tov. That is the kind of 
goodness that the first man and the woman and mankind stepped into. Everything was good. But then three chapters into the story, sin happens. And you could say it's about Adam and Eve and some fruit, or in better terms, you could say it's about what happens when you decide you don't want to take God at his word. Sin is what happens uh, when you rebel, believing that you can do it better yourself. It's what happens when self takes center stage in the story of God. These two humans rebel. They turn their back on God, believing they could do better themselves. And the consequences of sin come rushing into the story so fast. The life-giving connection with God is severed. Insecurity and inadequacy wrap themselves around the soul of humanity. And three new characters enter the story. Sin brings with it into the world fear, shame, and death. Sin, fear, shame, and death sit underneath every atrocity you've ever read about, every tear you've ever shed, every form of corruption you've ever read about in the news. I visited another church recently and heard a pastor tell a story, and it was honestly so gut-wrenching and so unbelievable, I, I couldn't believe it. And my curiosity eventually got the best of me, so I went looking you know, online to see if it was true, and CNN and a ton of other news sources actually just bringing this to light right now, and it did unfortunately, in fact, happen. In 1954, there was a five-year-old girl named Marina Chapman playing outside her village in Columbia. She's out in front of her little home at the edge of a field when an unknown man came running up with a rag full of chemicals, held it over her face, put a bag over her head, put her in a van, and drove her into the jungle. There he did unthinkable things to her and left the five-year-old girl by herself. She reports waiting for her mother to show up out there, but she never did, so she went to sleep believing she was going to die that night. The next morning she wakes up and she realizes she's surrounded. Terrified, she looks up to see that a group of these small monkeys living in that area have formed a circle around her. They're trying to figure her out. They poke, they push, but none of them harm her. That would begin three years where she lives in the jungle by herself amongst those monkeys. She learned to climb trees. They actually protected her from other little groups of monkeys that lived in the same jungle. She would follow them around and eat the food they dropped. Three years later, she's discovered by a group of hunters out there in the jungle as a little girl. You would think that this Hollywood ending is coming and that's where everything turned great and she made it. From there, she was sold by that group into a brothel. And you go, how could something like that happen? I'll tell you. Sin, fear, shame, and death have wreaked havoc on humanity ever since they came into the story. It's not just in stories you hear out there, it's in your life too. 
It's in the broken home you grew up in, the loss of a loved one you experienced way too soon. Any time you've ever looked in the mirror and didn't like what you see, it was sin, fear, shame, and death at work. But God didn't let the story end there. He refused to let sin have the last word in his story of goodness. And even on the day Adam and Eve rebelled, bringing sin into the pictures for the first time, God made a promise. Right there and then on the spot, he says, One day I will send one into the world who will crush sin and its offspring forever. And then years later, that day came in a tiny town, in a tiny barn, born to a tiny family, a Savior was born. That's our Jesus. And he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And God's heart came down in human form, fully God, fully man. Everything God ever wanted, his dream come true for humanity in human form, in the form of his own son. And Jesus comes and he grows and he loves and he teaches and he heals. And he brings the good news that the kingdom of God is now here. And he shows with, its light, with his life what it looks like when the kingdom of God reigns on earth. One of my favorite kingdom reign passages is in Mark's gospel, first chapter. One time Jesus was doing what he does, announcing the kingdom and showing what it looks like. And then it says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant. And in an instant, you have the Son of God face to face with the damages of sin. There's some interesting things in the words here. Um, number one is the levels of brokenness that this man experienced. Leprosy, if we had more time, I could explain. It is a, a slow disease that rots away the tissue from your body. Your fingers and ears, lips and nose all begin to crumble off of you. Oh, you get leprosy in this culture where they don't know about germs and germ theory. Oh, they think you have been cursed by Satan himself. You immediately become an outcast and an outsider. I'm reading a book right now, a fascinating book from a plastic surgeon who talks about the way disfigurements not only hurt the body, but wound people's sense of worth, value, and worthiness. And I bet this man knows all about that. He throws himself on his knees in front of Jesus and says, you can help me. Jesus is indignant. It is this clenched fist anger. Oh, not at the man. But Jesus is staring at the damages of sin that he came to deal with once and for all. It's interesting, this man does not doubt Jesus' power. He wonders if he matters enough because he says, Jesus, if you're willing, you could help me. Jesus was both willing and powerful enough. It says he, that's Jesus, reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus reaches into the brokenness, steps into his situation. He reaches out and touches the man that no one would want to touch. Instantly, the man is redeemed, restored, unbroken, and made new. And Jesus would say, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is why I've came. 
This is what happens when God's dream comes true on earth. It's this big idea, kingdom, you guys, and we can't afford to miss it. Because Jesus talked at length about this kingdom. He said, this is the kingdom you were made to live in, and it is so different than the kingdom of this world. He would one time say, if you actually tasted what life is like in this kingdom, you would sell everything you have to find your place in it. Jesus would throw open the doors of his kingdom and welcome in flawed, broken people like me and you. And he would say, you belong in this kingdom. However, there was just one problem. Sin, shame, fear, and death stood like guardians between humanity and the beautiful kingdom invite of Jesus Christ. So Jesus went to war with sin, shame, fear, and death. Sin brought its powers with it, coercion, force, and violence. Jesus brought his weapons of self-sacrifice, unfailing kindness, and love. And on a hill called Calvary, they collided once and for all. And on that day, it looked like sin had won. As Jesus' lifeless body was placed in a tomb, those looking at the war that had just taken place would have given the victory to sin. But what was not apparent in that moment was Jesus in that death was stripping sin, shame, death, and fear of their power once and for all. Jesus dying on that cross was absorbing the totality of their damages and the penalty of those on himself so we could live. I know this is true because three days later, resurrection happens. Resurrection is God saying that payment was enough. Resurrection is Jesus alive saying, in me there is now victory. My kingdom has won. Resurrection. It was like a cannonball that blew a hole in sin, shame, fear, and death so you and I can go running into the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Oh, we're not good enough on our own, but through trusting him, we now have a way. That's the kingdom, you guys. I just want to tell you, maybe you haven't heard this before, but when you make that step into the kingdom through trusting Jesus, trusting his life for you, trusting what he wants for you, trusting what he did for you on that cross, you, you get three things. There is forgiveness for your sins and acceptance in the embrace of your heavenly Father. There is a new identity. There is nothing that defines you in Christ Jesus other than the love of God. And you're saved into a new kingdom purpose. I just want to set the record straight, you guys. That's what being saved is. It is trusting who Jesus is, what, he do, what he's done for you, and what he has for you. And by trust, you inherit forgiveness, acceptance, identity, and kingdom purpose. That's being Christian. Now, you'll notice new kingdom purpose is in red here because I want to sit down on this for a minute. I think we've talked at length about these other two, but let's talk purpose for a minute. I can tell you like this, you were not saved to sit. 
Jesus did not pull you from your pit to sit you in a seat while you wait for heaven to get here. You were not saved to sit. As a matter of fact, you were gifted at the moment of your salvation with gifts that are yours to give to the world around you in Jesus' name. You were not saved to be a spectator in the kingdom of God. That psalm, or I don't know, it's not a psalm. It's like an old hymn that says, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly in the morning, by and by, hallelujah. One day I'll fly. I don't even know the words, but I'll tell you something. It's catchy, but it's got terrible theology. Because it paints a picture of a Christian sitting in this world as a passive victim waiting to fly away one day. When King Jesus would say, what are you doing? We've got work to do. I could go cover to cover in Scripture and show you everywhere salvation and blessing happens. It is so we can save and bless others. Here's the quick ones. Ephesians 2. Classic salvation passage. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not by works and no one can boast. Here you go. For, this is almost in the same breath. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Handiwork there is the beautiful word poema. We clearly get our word poem from this word. It is the picture of a poet sitting at lamplight with a pen in hand looking at every single word, crafting every single stanza, crafting every single moment and every single letter to make an impact. God would say, I have done the same for you. I've shaped every single thing about you, your story, your temperament, your experiences, the things you've been through, good and bad, your gifts, your personality and your passions so you can make a distinct impact with your time on earth. Is this not clear enough? Can I just go to Jesus? Moments before he went to war with sin on a cross, he has a group of just 11 guys in a room with him. One has already left and he's just pouring into these fellows that he's invested in so heavily and he tells them, hey, listen, there's a few things we need to get right and know this as I'm leaving in John 14 verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, fellows, whoever believes in me, that's to trust. That's to lean on. Whoever believes in me will do what? The works that I have been doing. What did Jesus do here? Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God with his time on earth. He threw open the doors and invited people in. He extended a hand, salvation, kindness, compassion for this kingdom. He welcomed in outsiders. He fought for the marginalized and the oppressed. When he saw brokenness, he did something about it. If we are his followers, we will do what we saw Jesus doing. We do the same in our day. Now, I want to challenge you. We do this personally. There are places you go every single week and those are your assignment from Jesus. You are to live out God's dream on earth where he has put you. But here at Momentum, we also practice this corporate, corporately, knowing that together, from time to time, we can make a bigger difference than we can as individuals. Which is why I want to cut to the chase and talk through this year's Hope for the Holidays Give. Now, some of you know this, some of you don't, but we've partnered with Vista Square Elementary School. Uh, approximately on 5th and G here in Chula Vista, uh, in our district, it is home to the most unsheltered children 
in the entire district. Why is that? Well, there's three reasons. One, um, there's two, sh two shelters for abused women uh, that sit within the reach of Vista Square. And when women go running for help and running for their lives to these shelters, um, they have to send their kids to school, and Vista Square, school, Square is the place. Second population is a group of drug users who are kind of couch surfing with family in the area and don't really have a place of their own, and the kids are in tow, and so they send them to school, which is where they get most of their meals and uh, where they get most of their social support. Uh, additionally, the third group is these women who are single women taking care of children who have some kids in tow. And there's a couple of dumpy hotels nearby, and these women send their kids to school and make money with their bodies while the kids are in class. And we have decided to look at these children at Vista Square and to say we are going to take responsibility for them. They need two things right now. I met with the administration. I've talked about what, what's going on on campus and at the school and everything. And I said, number one, they need help with tutoring because the kids there are not only uh, missed some years and did distance learning, they regressed in that time. So you have fourth graders working on second grade level stuff. You have third graders who are somewhere between first grade and kindergarten. They need help getting caught up. And two, very simply, they need jackets. And so our Christmas give this year, here's my challenge. Um, we want to give each person in our church who's 12 years old and older, we want to challenge you to give three hours of tutoring, that's $90, and one new jacket. Three hours of tutoring, one new jacket. How's the tutoring work? We're, we're all going to give to buy three hours of tutoring per kid, and we're going to hire uh, an external organization to send people over to Vista Square and sit with the children so they can get caught up on their work. To the jackets, um, the entire month of November, we want to challenge you to go out and buy a new jacket and bring that to Momentum so we can give it to a kid who needs one. Now, if you're visiting Momentum or you're around Momentum, we're going to have a table set up where you can pull a card, and that card has the actual size and need of a jacket, boy, girl, what size. If you're watching online and you want to participate, uh, there's going to be a fund open through our normal give. Just go to Hope for the Holidays Give, and you can give your $90 there. Um, if you want to give a jacket, you could either bring it to us uh, at Montevai, uh, or you could mail it to us. Here's the deal. I'll put info on at MomentumSanDiego.com on the screen right now. If you'd like to participate and you're, and you're viewing from a distance, just email info at MomentumSanDiego.com right now. And we'll make sure that you're able to make a difference this holiday season. Um, I want to sit on this for a second, and I'll tell you why. I was at Myrtle Beach before I was married to Britt. We were dating, and we had a group of friends that had road trip down there. And we had spent the time there camping. It's a South Carolina campsite right down the way from the beach. We had rented surfboards, and we would camp and hang in the evening, wake up, spend the entire day at the beach, and just repeat for five days. And I'll never forget, some of us were on the beach and minding our own business, and then something happened that day that stopped us in our tracks, not just us, but everybody else who was on the beach in that moment. I remember all of us stopping and looking up at this odd contraption that had come rolling down the little handicap ramp into the sand. There was a young boy about 
14 years old, 15 years old, pushing a beach wheelchair. It had these big old plastic tires that could get through the sand. It looked like it was made of PVC pipe. And in the chair was another young man who looked to be about 17 or 18. And I don't know what caught our attention, but the 70 or 80 of us on the beach just stopped and looked, not in a weird way or judgmental way, but there was something special happening in that moment. And we watched this 14-year-old push the 18-year-old all the way in this wheelchair to the edge of the water. And he kneels down, and with all he's got, he lifts the bigger man out of the wheelchair, walks him into the ocean about chest deep, and throws him in. We pause for a minute to see the older man from this wheelchair burst through the water, smiling ear to ear. He had come alive. Now I'm nosy. So I observed that these two young men were with an older woman who had brought them to this beach. So I walked up to her and I go, you, ha you have to explain to me what just happened right there. She goes, about three years ago, they're brothers, older brother, got this rare condition that there's really no treatment for. And we've been to every doctor and specialist you could ever imagine. And we've watched this condition slowly take away everything from our son. It's now taken away his ability to walk. We got tired of hearing bad news at all the hospitals back inland. So we switched our treatment to a hospital right here on the coast. So at least after we get our bad news, we can put him in this chair and his younger brother every single time will wheel him down to the water and it brings him back to life. Now, on the beach that day, all of us bystanders were simply that, bystanders. Younger brother was a hero that day. And there's a reason why. All of us looked at the young man in the wheelchair and thought, that's unfortunate. But his younger brother looked at him and said, that's my problem. That's why he was a hero that day. I tell you that to tell you this. In the kingdom of Jesus Christ, we have given up our right to look around at brokenness and say, that's unfortunate. We're called to be a people who look at the fractured world around us and say, that's my problem. At Vista Square right now, there are fourth graders fighting for their lives as they work through second grade curriculum. Every day there's kids jumping the fence and running away even though they don't know what they're running to or what they're running from. And there's children who are cold because they don't have what they need. It's our responsibility to look at them and say, that's my problem. Let's do something about it. Love you guys. Peace.